Welcome to the Bike Carrying Podcast. My name is Eric. And I am Aisla. And this week, we were looking at the calendar and we saw an interesting holiday coming up. So uh, in celebration of that holiday, and we'll see if anybody can guess what it is based on some of this, I'm going to start off with some quotes here. We just want to make people um, think about something maybe that they haven't thought about before. You should, you should start. I'm going to start. You're going to start. So this is from an article, and of course we post these as usual in uh, the show notes, so you can always look this entire thing up, but a little snippet from it. A mob of tens of thousands of angry men surrounded a New Orleans jail, shouting angry slurs and calling for blood. By the time they were done, 11 men would be dead, shot and mutilated in an act of brutal mob violence that took place in front of a cheering crowd. It was 1891, and the crowd was about to participate in the largest lynching in U.S. history. Now, when you found this article... I was completely shocked because that's a claim, the largest lynching, and lynching has a definite connotation. Mm-hmm. And I was utterly and completely shocked at who this was about. Who is it about? Italian Americans in 1891 in New Orleans. They were doing the lynching? They were being lynched. Oh. Now, Our listeners are probably used to a certain amount of banter and such from us, but we should make clear, we are actually saying this to illustrate a point, which is that Italian-Americans, if you can believe this, were not always lumped into the group of white, nor were they always particularly liked. Um, We found another quote. Uh, You want to read this one? Yeah, I can read this one. Where's this from? The the New York Times. Well, so the part... the New York Times is quoted in a larger context. In a larger here, quote from another article. From, from okay. The Atlantic, an okay. equally reputable the Atlantic. researched group. So Italian Americans arriving in large numbers in the late 19th century took note of the reverence which their famous countrymen enjoyed. It was a far cry from the treatment they themselves received. Many Americans believed Italians to be racially inferior. Their difference made visible by their swarthy or brown skins. They were often portrayed as primitive, violent, and unassimilable, and their Catholicism brought them in for further abuse. After the 1891 lynching of Italians in New Orleans, a New York Times editorial proclaimed Sicilians, quote, a pest without mitigation, end quote, adding for good measure that, quote, our own rattlesnakes are as good citizens as they, end quote. So we have talked, and I have always found myself to be very much on the side of diversity and the rights of minorities. And after reading these articles, I am for the first time in my life experiencing what it feels like to be on the other side of that, that people in my family were persecuted as minorities. Yeah. I've thought of myself as in, in, in every way an entitled white guy um, for better or worse, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm recalling hearing things um, like growing up at a young age in the, in the early eighties, um, you know, hearing my grandfather and and family say, you know, the reason we never liked black people was because they were the only people worse than us and how we were treated. 
Well, and and one of the things that's interesting to me about sort of the the complexity of all of this. So we we sort of got into this topic when I brought up the. Well, we can we can now let's yeah. let's introduce what the well, actual yeah. topic here is so, because. Well, I was saying, like, I brought up to you sort of the, the ways in which I had been surprised to learn the history of Columbus Day. And and you were like, well, I didn't know that. And I said, well, most, most of us don't. I, I sought it out about eight years ago when um, there was a lot more publication of Indigenous Peoples Day and the ways in which the Native populations were wanting to address that Columbus was being celebrated and at the same time— the, the sort of quote unquote discovery, right? Because it had already been discovered by the people that lived here, but the discovery of this continent by Western people led to disease and extinction and oppression. And and so their their uh, expression is sort of like, we, we don't really want that to be what's being celebrated. It makes a lot of sense. And I at the time was researching Indigenous Peoples Day and then also was like, well, where did Columbus Day come from? And I found that actually had been originally introduced as a way to celebrate Italian heritage. Which is the argument that I've heard, um, not so much from my family, and I should clarify my personal history. I am more than half Italian and the majority of my Italian family are all New York Italians. You'll have to take my word for it because I don't have the accent, but the entirety of my family from New York talks like an episode of The Sopranos. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and that was always my experience. And I heard these things. And I just don't think I processed it. You know, I did grow up most of my life splitting my time between Colorado and New York, visiting that family and hearing these stories and knowing that, you know, I had a slightly racist uncle. And knowing that the Italians were never treated all that great. But, you know, you hear stories like the Irish in Boston were never treated all that great. For you, as you, your Irish heritage, whatever that means to you, it's probably different than what it meant to our families that maybe were in those areas in the north, you know, northeast. Um, so I didn't always process it. And so I remember years ago when Columbus Day became more of a contentious topic and Italians running around saying you can't take a holiday. It's our holiday. You know, we're not trying to celebrate, you know, I, I always remember the message. It was a never, but we're not trying to celebrate genocide. We just want to have an Italian day. Right. It's, it's our Italian holiday. And, and they it, were vilified for it in a lot of cases. Like my family felt a little bit persecuted, but my family was also never like, I never, I, I think I got it off from school a few times. Maybe that's why I was excited about Columbus day. I was never had a dog in that hunt. Right. No, that makes sense. And, and I, and regardless of, so I, when I think about it in terms of the, the larger context, what I find to be truly intriguing is one that so many of us today don't really understand the history either of the indigenous people, right, and the and their motivation for wanting this to be different, nor do we understand the history of a holiday that was legitimized um, in 1934 nationally was first started in 1792 and it was similar for a long time to the way that St. Patrick's Day is celebrated. Right. The Italian community celebrated Columbus Day and then the Irish actually kind of got on board because um because of their shared Catholicism and the ways that like Catholicism was very much uh, sort of something judged. they and they something they had in common. Yeah, and discriminated yeah. against. Yeah. And so it became uh, 
more people. It actually, the Knights of Columbus is a Catholic group is actually what finally got it passed, right? Right. And, and I want to tie this back because obviously, um, if you haven't guessed by now, our subject is going to be kind of talking about Columbus Day and in the Bicurian way, the, the, the dichotomy that it is. Yeah. Um, you know, is it, a, is it strictly a celebration of somebody who was responsible for mass genocide of indigenous people? Um, is it an American uh, Italian heritage holiday? Um, or a Catholic holiday. Or a Catholic holiday, ha- you know? heritage holiday, um, wh- where, you know, where the roots come from. But I wanted to start things out with those quotes because they blew my mind, and I am Italian, and I had no idea that if you said the, the words largest lynching in a sentence— it would be about Italians anywhere in right. any history. Yeah, we tend to forget that there's a, a group that I worked with a while ago called Modus Theater, and they put on a production called Rocks, Karma, Arrows, which you can uh, watch the video of. It was a play, multimedia play, and it's really brilliantly done. And one of the things that, that through this two-hour arc, it focuses on Boulder County and the Sand Creek Massacre. However, it covers a lot of this very interesting process of immigration in America, which is that we have a group come in and they're hated and they're discriminated against. And they're, you know, what you were talking about earlier, epithets like without papers and WAP, by the way, (laughs) I, I, I can say that because I'm Italian. I can't. I grew up, well, I grew up and we had those epithets we would throw around and I, I never really thought about it but it, it is very similar to how other ethnic minorities might take back a word that was negative. But mm-hmm. my brother and I called each other WAPs all the time. I don't even know if it was good or bad. It just was. Right. It's part of and and then and so this is this process where immigrants go through this and they're other and then they're assimilated and they become white. Like Italians are white now, Irish people are white now. And and that is it is a consistent occurrence. For most ethnicities, like Hispanics have some challenges around it because of some um, court cases that actually codified their ethnicity in a way that no other group has had it codified. Right, which is why most applications have a specifically, are you Hispanic? Yes, it's a very Regardless of whether or not you're filling out other ethnicities. And it's the result of this federal court case. So it's really interesting. And of course, black people and the history of racism or the history of slavery, excuse me, puts them also into a different situation. They, They don't, they haven't had... The same, and I don't know, there's a way in which it's certainly an opportunity, and yet it's also, there's a big price to it. Like, you have to, in order to be assimilated as white, you have to walk away from a certain aspect of your your heritage, and and so that's a question, too, for me. And then, of course, indigenous people uh, rarely are also offered this dubious opportunity to become white, and so these different populations are sort of challenging this other conversation that exists around immigration, which is that process of being discriminated against until you become part of the problem, maybe. I don't know how we want to say that. Yeah, and, and I I mean, you know, in all of our research, I don't really see anything that we were able to pull up, and maybe we can do this in the future. I, I don't really know when Italians apparently were no longer the bad guys. Um, so far as I can tell, there was enough guilt um, about culture in general so you looked it up. It was the early 1900s. Um, ironically, based on our location in Colorado, 
1905. It was the first the first time that there was a, a legislated acknowledgement of Columbus Day was in 1905. It was put forth by Angelo. You're gonna say it's Noche. Am I? Am I I gotta find it. It's right there. Yep, uh, Angelo Noche. I would okay. guess. And um, the governor of Colorado acknowledged and or proclaimed and declared a Columbus Day celebration. And because the Italians in the neighborhoods in in Denver had been celebrating it, correct? Was that? Yeah. The he said recognize the patriotic Americanism of the Colorado Italian Italians whose generosity prompts them to present to the state an emblem of appreciation of services to mankind of one of their countrymen. So I'm proud to say that I live in the state that was kind to Italians before anyone else. 1907 is not too long after 1891. 1905. Uh, 1905. Yeah. Not too long after 1891. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were recognized here. And that apparently according to most of the people you would talk to, was also the first time of the acknowledgement of the celebration of the extermination and genocide of entire populations as well as their conquering. Yes. So <laughs> right. let's just mark the date. Let's mark the date. And it's and like and the and that complexity there, it's 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 one of those things that of course if you're being discriminated against and th- you're gonna do something to try and and kind of make make good with the with the larger population what was interesting to me in so, this- so why did the italians like columbus let's let's cover that real quick because i think it's important for people to understand that in 1905 they were not saying oh hey by the way um you know we think columbus um taking over the native populations of an entire continent uh and leading to everything that we now have uh, was great let's celebrate that so they saw Columbus as a symbol of American nationalism. It was a way to identify the new nation, like differentiating kind of from British things too, right? And then also, and it wasn't just in the United States. However, we're going to talk specifically about the United States. And right. We should make clear that Columbus Day is celebrated in other countries. Columbus as a, yeah, he's as a person. in different ways is celebrated. Yeah. And, and it was also that, um, Italians would adopted Columbus, uh, and this is, I'm quoting this article as a shield against the ethnic, racial, and religious discrimination they faced in their adoptive country. They promoted a narrative of national origins that traced back to Plymouth or Jamestown. How could a nation reject the compatriots of its own discoverer? So what they were trying to do was kind of counter the prejudice they were facing, this swarthy, dark, rattlesnake judgment. <laughs> They're trying to counter that by saying, you know, actually, we're we're connected as far back as Plymouth, just like you Protestants. Can I just say that in a lot of ways, I really wish that they had embraced Amerigo Vespucci. <laughs> You know, you can say that, yes. I feel like we'd be having a lot less harsh debate right now if it was America Vespucci Day <laughs> instead of Columbus Day. So say a little bit more about that. Well, obviously, America Vespucci did not discover America, but it was named after him. He was, he was um, I believe he's a map maker. Okay. Basically uh, chose the name America. That's where we got the name. And he was Italian, too. So. Well, there you go. So that was an option. That didn't happen. They chose poorly. They chose poorly. Celebrating Columbus. So I, I should state here, um, I'm personally 
not going for any kind of victimhood here. Um, I am actually processing the fact that I, I, I knew Italians had been persecuted, but not to what extent. Um, I don't have any sort of attachment to that. I mean, I can't draw any sort of, you know, my family was in that lynching or something like that. Um, that said, I always did at least get it from my family that, you know, this is an American Italian heritage day and we should celebrate our American Italian heritage, except that that was something we said behind closed doors. And my grandfather Americanized, um, the last name Cosner's from my dad, but on my mom's side, it's Scarpin and it was Scarponi originally. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather Americanized the name because he didn't want to sound Italian. So he moved the I to after the A and it's S-C-A-I-R-P-O-N and not Scarponi. There's plenty of Scarponis in this country that I'm related to, but that's not the name that was my mother's maiden name. And that's the, and that's what we're talking about with the immigration process. One of the, one of the parts of it is the whitewashing of the name. Let me me just state that in clearer terms. My family didn't want to sound like they were Italian. Right. Like that's the, that that's part of the immigration process of making your family white is that denying your culture and your heritage, even to the point of changing your name. So once again, it's this really dubious opportunity that immigrants have to be assimilated in that way because it requires a certain type of cultural disconnection. And and so the other thing that I found interesting was like, I remember there was this big push to talk about Leif Erikson and I, I remember as, I, as the true discoverer as of the America, true discoverer of America. <laughs> and, and there is, um, there's reason to sort of support that part of the motivation for talking about Leif Erikson was to find a more acceptably white discoverer of the continent <laughs> Once again, we're not talking about the indigenous people who were here and had already discovered it because they were living here. Right. Um, <laughs> but just like that sort of and the ways in which the the Leif Erikson story or narrative kind of takes away from that immigrant acknowledgement the or the acceptance of Catholicism, the acceptance of Italians. And so just once again, like the, the beginnings of the celebration, 1792, Italian Americans are celebrating it Columbus day, the way that Irish Americans celebrate St. Patrick's day. And then 1905 is the first time that it becomes a legal holiday. Colorado governor declares that 1934, it becomes a federal holiday. Yes. That's when, and then. Now, why did they do that federal holiday? Um, well, the Knights of Columbus. Who is they had been pushing it as pushed as an Italian and of Catholic because that brought the Irish right. in to like support it so the wider support they should have just sainted Columbus then it could be Saint Columbus Day yeah. and again <laughs> it would have less weirdness about it it would it would be different I don't know that he could qualify um, well Patrick qualified oh let's not bring that up <laughs> that's painful um, and then and so then that happened and then you know. One of the things that they talk, talk about is, you know, John F. F. Kennedy was elected and we all know oh, he was so great and everything. At the time, he was a quite very controversial candidate because he was Catholic. And there was this very clear conviction that the Pope was going to be running our country. Oh, yeah. My family has brought that up many times. Half the reason that they liked him um, was because he was Catholic. My family is Catholic. Again, I will state I am of a more pagan um, lineage. Uh, <laughs> 
or practice. Since, practice since, <laughs> since, since growing up, and, and I did not grow up Catholic, but my entire family is Catholic. So that was something they were very into. And then, and so there's that. So you're saying, like, when did it shift? I would probably say when, when we got a president that kind of turned the tide a little bit, and then this process of immigration and becoming white it sort of takes a couple generations and some people changing their names and that happens. And then there's a new immigrant population. So we kind of pick on the new guy. It's the bully thing. And, and then in 1989, I also find this interesting was the first time that the American Indian movement and, and also in Colorado, possibly they chose Colorado because that's where it began. It began. And we have a, a native American population here. And, and, um, was the first time that Columbus Day was pr- protested publicly and brought attention to, hey, wait a minute, when you when you celebrate Columbus as a discoverer, you ignore the fact that people were here. You sort of reframe the whole world from a perspective that completely ignores that there was a history here long that, before he showed up. And that Columbus was sort of the ultimate image of imperialism. And he was a gateway as well as an enactor of oppression and imperialism. And so, and that's also true. Like that And happened. I don't deny any of that. And in fact, if I had to say where, you know, before this entire conversation where my heart lied and where it still lies afterwards is that I am all for celebrating Columbus Day as an indigenous people's day. I think I am more aware of persecution of another race and and the history of Columbus Day and the reason why Italians that actually have any knowledge of this um, would be offended that like look this is not about celebrating your people being persecuted it's about celebrating our people being persecuted well or, or and 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 for me one of the things and we were talking about this before we started recording that that feels important to me to remember our history. Like regardless of what happens with the again, I didn't know any of this. Right. I'm Italian, and you didn't know this, right? I and and so that was kind of interesting to me, and in, in that we don't know our we often don't know our own history. We don't know the history of of the land that we live on. You like I like I said I did a lot of work with this other group, and I learned a lot about the Sand Creek Massacre, and both the the mass the lynching that occurred in New Orleans in 1891 and Sand Creek Massacre, I believe, it was 1864. Both of those situations, it was noted that people, you know, future governors, present governors, like people of, of note with legitimate positions of authority participated in lynchings and massacres and were not necessarily held accountable in any way and maybe had streets named after them. And so there's a way in which we not remembering this history, that is part of where I feel like it is so easy for us to forget our connection to those and kind of what um, Nita was talking about last week, that if you close your eyes and you think of diversity and you don't think of your people. So if I, and I'm white and if I close my eyes and I, and I picture diversity, and it's true. I don't think of myself. Right. Diversity means black hires, Hispanic it, wait, hires, women hires. Right. Right. And it, I, I don't think of my whiteness as part of diversity. So that means my whiteness isn't going to participate in what it means to be part of diversity. And in the same way, if I don't think about the history of my people and the ways in which they were discriminated against or talked about as illegal aliens in your case or mine, then 
how am I going to participate in the current immigration conversation from a place of really understanding and empathizing with the process? Like, well, it has changed how I do think about it. Because um, for one thing, you can say Sand Creek, and I would imagine that the majority of people who hear that know what it is. Maybe not all the details, maybe not the full history, but they do get that it was a massacre that involved a lot of Native Americans. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Um, I didn't know, and I bet most people didn't know, about the largest lynching in U.S. history. And and it's worth bringing up how it actually started, because it's also in the article. Um, Some some residents in the area found the chief of police, I believe. um, Chief Hennessy, yeah. Chief Hennessy um, dying, and pretty much his last words were they asked him who did it who did it and he said dagos and that led to the fact of the matter is those lynchings were probably all innocent people had nothing to do with that his murder was probably never actually solved it wasn't so so far as so far as we can tell yeah yeah, like they didn't actually even get the right people all he had to do and and i can think of many racial epithets that could have been said there that would have led to a very bad time for a specific group of people but it's worth noting that, you know, we don't always think about those sorts of things. And like you said, diversity, closing your eyes, seeing yourself, but also seeing other people, you know, maybe, maybe different shades of brown. I've met numerous um, black people in my life that have told me straight up that they're glad they're not as dark as their sister or brother because they have a harder time. They're glad that they're lighter. Um, I... I've always, you know, had a, a fairly olive complexion, especially in summer. I tan to an olive tone. And, you know, it's never affected me. But I can see, you know, how that sort of thing would affect other people. Um, if you're of Hispanic descent and you get a little darker, that's probably something that causes you more problems. So, and well, and we, ha- and we have more in common. Like, if we can remember our history and, and come at it from that perspective... We can recognize that the, the the things that immigrants are facing today, yeah, whatever whatever nation they come from, the things whatever accent they have, whatever accent they have, the tone of their skin, our families have faced that. Like we are part, we are in that. We can be in that with them. We don't have to have it be an us them thing. It's it's more it's more of a collective experience. I do have an empathy that I didn't have before. Because it was one thing to just say, you know, thankfully, my family was never persecuted. And I can't say that that's actually entirely true. <laughs> and and my family danced around it and never admitted to it, but also changed their last name. Right. And why would they do that? Right. Like they do it to make things easier. That's And it's a very common story. And I know I was telling you my larger connection to it is having been part of a, the Mormon faith and having, you know, it was a very important part of my history for a long time. And it was only recently that the that Missouri took the law off the books that it was legal to kill Mormons. Like yeah. They, you know, it was like same, interesting, same era. It was like 1863. And I even think. if you're not a Mormon right now, you can still associate with that. And you were and you understand Right. culturally and, and and you can associate yourself culturally with that impact. And and to me that's the that's part of the benefit of knowing your history and recognizing that anything that's happened before can happen again. None none of us are safe from the mob mentality. And so there's both my You've own You've got dis- red hair and freckles, you're just as <laughs> under <Yeah>. threat. <laughs> just 
Prince is under threat. Not really. I mean, it's different. We think that, though. Right. right? But there was a time when red hair and freckles and would have yeah. had the same connotation as slightly darker skin tone. Right. And in, in, in certain parts of the country, it, it was it was absolutely a problem for folks. And and to not not try and equate like different different struggles are, are like I don't know what the struggle of being a black person in America is or an indigenous person. And so I won't claim that. But I will say I can have an empathy to what it is to be part of a community that was hunted and I can say I understand that there was there's no good in that so I don't want to perpetuate that and if and if part of what our native and indigenous populations are saying is we we see this holiday as a symbol of that which oppresses us then I can say all right let me stand there with you like that feels like a great place to stand and I can also say Let's talk about how we we also celebrate the history of Italians. It doesn't have to be that day. It doesn't have to be Columbus. And let's also include that in yep. some aspect of the conversation. Well, you know, as we wrap up, I, I think that's exactly kind of how I want to wrap it up. I, I stand completely in support of Indigenous People Day and the Indigenous people that were persecuted and and the upheaval that you know, Western civilization moving to this continent caused. I fully stand in that. And all I ask um, as an Italian-American is that people understand the roots of that holiday, the roots of the people that celebrated that holiday, that it's not, um, it was not to celebrate what Columbus did to those people in in any way. It was to claim a shred of dignity at a time when there wasn't much available. Exactly. And so when an Italian says, hey, that hurts my feelings, then they may not just be, you know. There's more going on. Right. So, you know, just think about it. And again, it's very Bikerian, the idea of the two sides of the coin um, and the two perspectives, not defending the ardent supporters of Columbus. And we do live in a world where there are plenty of people who probably do celebrate the conquering of another culture and the persecution of other, you know, religions and races and creeds and all of that. Um, it's not about that, but maybe a little bit of coming together and understanding that some of these holidays um, and some of these things that we protest may have a root in something positive for somebody else. Agreed. Welcome to the Bicurian Moment. So, this week, um, I want you to go to first. Okay. Well, I, my bicurian moment is this. I recognize that smoking and nicotine are not necessarily the healthiest of products. I'm actually, I define myself as a casual non-smoker. I occasionally indulge. However, for the most part not a smoker in the traditional sense of the word. Yeah, most smokers would not call you a smoker unless most smokers would not pounded call down me a, a half a pack a day or more. Well, and but the thing is, like, the, this is the interesting part, right? Like, if you smoke ever, most people say you're our smoker, unless you're with smokers who are like, oh, yeah, I know you don't qualify. So casual non-smoker, that's my personal uh, description of choice. And the FDA, September 12th, uh, the head of the FDA uh, decided to um, send a, he calls it an historic action. <laughs> I love historic actions. Yeah. Um, 
to the um, e-cigarette juice producers. And for those not in the know, uh, okay. as I smoke an e-cigarette, um, basically what you have is a battery. And then you have what's called an atomizer, which is like usually a tank that you put the juice in. The juice has nicotine and flavoring and propylene glycol, which is fog juice. So if you've ever seen a fog machine on a stage or whatever, it's the same thing. It's perfectly breathable, in fact. Um, it's usually all made with a medical-grade propylene glycol, which is the same thing they put in inhalers for asthma patients to carry the steroids. So um, we should be clear here that that's the science behind it all. Now, as far as um, long-term effects, nobody's been doing it long enough to actually know what some of those are. But in general, it's considered safer, um, and the flavors are delicious. So... And they actually smell really good from my experience. Thank you. That's a a nice little summary there. So there's this concern that it's, it's too appealing to teens. And so he sent Juul and four other manufacturers, according to them, controls 97% of the market, a um, demand to provide plans to mitigate youth sales within 60 days or face potential criminal or civil action. Because that's a thing. And um, it's specifically on the flavored e-cigarettes. And they're also talking about just com- a policy that would lead to the complete removal, complete and immediate removal of these flavors from the market. And it's like banning soda in New York and yeah, all of that. They, they figure if, if you just make it not available, that'll solve the problem. And. And there's a lot of questions that it's just for me, the Vicarian moment in that is, yeah, it's, it's not healthy and kids should not do it. I mean, there's a, there, there is a limitation on the age. Yeah. That, it's 21 and up right. to purchase and there's definite impacts on your, on your body. Okay. And it just, it seems really extreme to, to say all of this has to go away a hundred percent. And the, and the, you know, their argument is the, their fear of kids accessing it, which they have been, is more important than allowing adults to have access to it. Well, and you know, what I find interesting about it is that it specifically references that people can buy this online. Now I have bought e-cigarette juices online and usually there's a little button. Are you 18? Yes or no? And I click yes because I am. And other people can, and then they can do an order, um, put in a credit card, and get this stuff. So it, it is not actually being limited in that way. Um, at the local shops in town, and here in Denver, there's more than a few. I've actually switched because there's enough local shops that I actually shop locally now instead of ordering my juices online. Um, more of an instant gratification and and a little bit of a knowledge of where it's coming from. But realistically, I'm sure that they are actually participating in you know, checking IDs if somebody looks too young to buy it. So, so they are honoring that nicotine cannot be sold to somebody under the age of 18. Well, I was carted the other day at Costco trying to buy NyQuil. Well, <laughs> so, that's because of the meth stuff. And I, oh, you, we, we know saying, that you're, you're predisposition to making meth out of ephedrine. So. Yes, or possibly <laughs> or I, I appreciate that I could have some cold medicine as we enter the season. And... And I get it. Like we have, you know, we have regulation for a reason. Some, sometimes I don't agree with it. However, I I dislike this all or, all or nothing approach. And and I get that it's probably rhetoric. However, we definitely have in the past done ridiculous things 
<laughs> in, well, in the service of our fear. I, I think, and, and it does bring up, you know, I'm, I am a progressive and, and definitely a left-leaning person. And I'm also not sure I can get behind states or cities or whatever passing bans on saturated fats and soda and all that. Like this nanny state mentality like we'll oh save gosh, you from your state we'll save you from yourself my dad would be proud <laughs> well but, but i mean the reality is, is that you know th- there is some sort of personal accountability that needs to be involved in things and this idea that like well sugary sodas are bad for you so we'll ban them like wow i mean just stop for a second like you know on the social well- welfare scale you know that sort of thing I don't believe anybody should have it dictated to them to not do something that's bad for them. Well, and the thing to me, the question to me is more, so what is creating that kids are really into this idea of e-cigarettes? Nicotine is addictive, and um, if you do it a few times, you're going to crave it. Okay, and and why— and I don't think it's because well, it was cherry flavored, but, but what, there's this argument the that that must be what it is. They did it with cigarettes. Obama banned flavored cigarettes, um, you know, when he was in office. You couldn't get cherry flavored cigarettes anymore. Camel had just released all these like fruit flavored cigarettes and stuff. The argument that that was what was making it appealing I is guess, is flimsy at best, but that I was the my argument. The question is more in terms of, yes, yeah, smoking's bad for you. And there was some really legitimately sketchy stuff that the tobacco industry did in terms of I'm, I'm not a fan evidence. of it and, and and again I should say you know I'm I smoke um a vape now um I I do have to have one vice in life it, it it does help me in coping with the rest of things um I like nicotine it's fine I I don't cough I'm not as sick as I never get bronchitis like I used to when I was a smoker um I'm very happy to be a not smoker even though I vape now um but yeah, it, it is accessible and, and, you know, maybe some regulation on it would be good. That said, yeah, I don't think kids are picking it up because it was cherry flavored. Like if it just wasn't well, cherry flavored, that's going to make a difference. Well, and I guess it's, it, it feels to me like the, the sort of legislation fad of the week, you know, we, we get on to something, this is the bad thing and it's ruining kids. And, and I think that there's a larger picture in terms of kids are going to, try stuff they're gonna do stuff that's bad for them they're i mean gonna- you know it, it, the legal drinking age has been 21 forever and yet everybody's got the story of the first time they had a drink and it probably was before they were 21 well no never well i just I unless remember- you were a mormon yeah no i had to drink before i was 21 um the interesting thing i just remember being a kid you know in the dare program so date myself there right i just remember gosh maybe 11 or 12 and the health class and someone comes in and they talk about how like, you know, sniffing glue is really bad for you and everybody's doing it. And well, and I go home and I'm just like, well, why is everybody doing? Cause they don't talk to you about that. So I'm like, do I have any glue? I got to figure out why this is a thing. I don't know why it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's true. And, and instead of just, and, but there's a lack of honesty in it. So I feel yeah. like what happens is kids, kids do stuff because well, nobody likes to be treated like they're an idiot. And when you treat a kid like an idiot and say, don't do it, it's bad for you, they're inquisitive. Well, and the thing is they see adults doing it. They're like, if it's really that bad for you, why are adults yeah, smoking? Why does mommy do it if, if it's bad? Right. And instead of giving the whole picture, 
and and then actually legitimately encouraging to make a choice. Like, here's nicotine. Here's what it does. Yes, it tastes good. Yes, these are things that happen. And if, you know, and it, yeah, mom does it and she's addicted. The, the worst part about e-cigarettes <laughs> you know? right now is that they've been trying to villainize it in every way possible. And you can find all of those sort of strange articles of a limited sample size that somebody once you know, published that said that it was kind of bad. It wasn't even in a peer-reviewed journal or anything. Um, they've really just not been able to villainize it yet. And so they're looking for anything they can to discourage the use of it, and it hasn't really been working out. So at this well, point, they're attacking flavors like, yeah. Well, and the thing, like, instead of, and I think that's it, that's part of it is it, you, it maybe it, it offends me because they are treating kids and, and adults but they're talking about kids kind of like they're dumb instead of maybe giving them information. Nicotine's addictive. doesn't matter what it tastes like. It doesn't matter how. Have you seen the anti-smoking commercials right now? No. Like they're horrifying. Like, of course they are. I mean, like they're, they're actually like horror show. I've seen a few of them. Like they have the little lungs one and it's about how smoking, you know, at a young age can stunt your lung growth. And I mean, the gory, they're like gory. There's like blood and stuff in them. Like, well, and the thing is, like, like, it's scared straight level kind of stuff. And I just remember, you know, when the when when the tobacco industry first got kind of called out for suppressing the evidence that the cigarettes they were making were bad for you, which also a lot of the carcinogens are things they added to it, like tobacco on its oh, own. Oh yeah, the additives not, in there are, not, are it's ridiculous. Not nearly, yeah, and that's also like to reference our our show, even like the indigenous population, especially the Native Americans, are like tobacco is a sacred plant to us. <laughs> And you're like, you've turned it into a death thing. Right. And so there's that aspect. But yeah, that just the, I just remember one of my friends talking about it and saying, you know, of course smoking's bad for you. The first time you take a, you know, your cough and you kind of want to die and your lungs are on fire. Like, you know, it's not good for you. You have to make yourself accept that poison. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that, that's, I don't know. So it's just, I just get offended, I guess. When there's this, you know, sort of reactionary campaign, partially, I think, because it's not really going to fix anything and it doesn't address the issue and it doesn't treat, you know, our youth like they have the ability to learn. and Nor does it respect adults decision making ability. ability. Yeah. So all of it together, I just am like, come on, guys. So that's my Bikerian moment, which was more like 10 moments. Yeah, (laughs) that's okay. Um, Mine is actually that I am enjoying the fall. It's one of my favorite seasons. And um, we went to Burning Man a few weeks ago, and I was thrust forward into the utopian society of decommoditization and gifting. Um, and preserving the beautiful nature of the playa. Of course. I mean, the, the beautiful nature of the desert land that nothing can grow on. Um, but I did come back, and and I do have some perspectives on it. And one of those things is appreciating how things have become commoditized and how certain things are comforting. Um, and I'm going to say a swear word or a swear acronym, <laughs> as it were, PSL. Um, I'm not actually a huge fan of pumpkin spice lattes, but I, I do like them on occasion and they do recall fall to me. And mm-hmm. I like this season and I like all of the imagery and the leaves changing and all of that. And it's become ubiquitous, like the pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks or any other place that wants to sell coffee at this time of year, <laughs> wants to put pumpkin spice things in it. 
Um, there is no pumpkin in it. No. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, it's funny because, yeah, this pumpkin spices are things like cinnamon and, and cardamom and all of that. But realistically, there's no, yes, there's no pumpkin in your coffee. Now I want pumpkin pie, I'll be honest. Yeah, exactly. You see, and we recall those things and we enjoy them for the season. And then we, we actually enjoy their lack of being around on January 15th once we've used up the last of the pumpkin spice creamer that you bought for before Christmas and stuff. So that we can savor it and enjoy it the next year and all of that. And I don't know if I have an appreciation for it. And maybe it's just, you know, the world we live in, I'm I'm seeking small comforts and it is one. And so, um, you know, I encourage everybody to go out, look at the leaves, um, watch the season change, enjoy a pumpkin spice latte if that's your jam or... Or your coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, just just more to the point of... um, appreciating how things kind of flow through the year. And sometimes it's comforting to have those things come back. Yeah. I'd be sad if PSLs went away, even though I don't drink too many of them and I'm not like a huge fan of them, but I like when it's that season. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for listening. If you have ideas, feedback, thoughts, please find us on social media by Curian on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or give us a call at 720 077309 or email podcast at bicurian.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>